Today is the 41st anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade ruling, which made abortion legal in the United States. On this day each year, hundreds of thousands of people, primarily Catholics, march in the cold of Washington, D.C. to protest this decision. And Catholics throughout the nation observe masses for the legal protection of unborn children. We are no exception here at Blessed John 23rd Parish. A common theme for the homilies at these masses is to decry the horrors of abortion. We estimate that a mind-numbing 56 million fetuses have been aborted in the United States since 1973. Here in East Tennessee, however, I don't think that most people need to be convinced of the tragedy of abortion. Instead, let us turn to a related tragedy in this country, the politics on both sides of the congressional aisle surrounding abortion. Pundits predict that abortion politics will feature heavily in the 2014 congressional elections. Our first reading today is the story of David and Goliath. It's tempting for all people in this debate to portray themselves as a tiny David fighting a mighty Goliath. Nonsense. The truly weak and vulnerable people in this debate are the unborn children and the women and men who feel unable to raise them. As Catholics, we believe in the sacredness of all life, from the moment of conception until natural death. We are opposed to all policies that frustrate the flourishing of life. Let's name a few of the major issues that we feel frustrate the flourishing of life, and we'll name them in alphabetical order. Abortion, assisted suicide, the death penalty, economic injustice, euthanasia, an unjust war. Joseph Cardinal Bernadine, one of my role models, coined a term for the protection of all life. He called it the seamless garment. The point he made in using this term was that all of these issues, as different as they may seem, are interconnected. Sean Cardinal O'Malley expressed it quite well recently. He said, and I quote, for us, Life is at the very center of our social teachings. Life is precious. It is a mystery. It must be nurtured, protected. The transmission of life is sacred. And our defense of human life is a great service to society. When the state begins to decide who is worthy of living and who isn't, all human rights are put in jeopardy. But the voice of the church is very clear. And we're not just saying that life is precious in the womb. But life is precious when someone has Alzheimer's, when someone has AIDS, when someone is poor, when someone has mental illness. Their humanity is not diminished, and they have a claim on our love and our services. So the church's position is a very consistent one. It is a consistent life ethic. I've never met anyone who wanted to have an abortion. However, I have spoken with a number of women and men who felt that, faced with unexpected pregnancies, they had no other options. To them, having an abortion was the option of last resort. More than one million times a year, someone in this country decides to have an abortion. 
if Roe v. Wade is overturned, but we do nothing else to change the lives of these one million people, do we really expect that the number of abortions will decline significantly? In my opinion, if we want to truly reduce the number of people who find themselves facing unexpected pregnancies, here are some other things that we must do with at least as much energy and intensity as marching in Washington every January 22nd. First, we must strengthen the safety net for people living near and below the poverty line. When we refuse to provide resources to people who will struggle to provide food, daycare, health care, and transportation for their children, why are we surprised that these people are considering abortion? Two, we must do everything in our power to support unwed mothers. Too often we condemn abortion at the same moment we gossip about people facing unexpected pregnancies. Three, we must promote adoption and foster care. If we are unable to adopt a child ourselves, what have we done this year to support others who have made the incredible sacrifice to take in a child in need? Four, we must speak up against a culture that trivializes sexual activity as if it is merely entertainment. Sexual intercourse is, in many ways, the ultimate expression of love. A person literally stands naked before someone else saying, this is who I am the good, the bad, and the ugly. I give this all to you unconditionally. I will stick by you no matter what. We must teach that intercourse is an expression of a commitment that already exists between two people. Intercourse is not a way to convince someone to make a commitment in the future. Five. Even though the Catholic Church opposes artificial birth control, let us speak about it. No form of artificial birth control is 100% effective. Therefore, even if people use artificial birth control, they run the risk of becoming pregnant. I can't tell you how many people in the confessional over here look surprised when I tell them that. Here's the advice that I give to students at the University of Tennessee. If you're not ready to raise a child, you're not ready to have sex. Six, we must fight against binge drinking of alcohol and the use of recreational drugs. So often on campus, the story of an unexpected pregnancy starts with someone drinking to excess or using mind-altering drugs. Please note that people can get pregnant from excessive drinking even if they are over the age of 21. Binge drinking is wrong whether or not it's technically against the law. As we fight against abortion, let our narratives reference Jesus, Mary, and Joseph more than David and Goliath. Let us lead with compassion, not with hatred. Mary was an unwed mother. Joseph gave Mary his unconditional support, and he raised the child Jesus as his own. Let us be like Jesus in today's gospel passage, choosing to do good and to save life.